Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. In Matthew chapter 12, maybe you recall it was right after Jesus had just casted out an unclean spirit. He was accused um, by the Pharisees of using the power of Satan to cast out that spirit. Well, they actually accused him of being the prince of the devils, and that's how he was able to do that. And his response, because he knew what they were thinking, you can find in, in Matthew 12, verse 25. Um, Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. So I've been in youth ministry now for, in a full-time sense, full-time in this position, um, for a little more than eight years. And I've helped out in youth ministry now for 12? I think a little more than 12 years. I don't, I don't remember my exact start date. I think it was a little more than 12 years. So I've had some time in it. Uh, more time than the average family has a teenager in their home anyways. I, I sure hope not. I mean, you, you weren't built to withstand more than 12 years of teenagers in your home. <laughs> but if there's one thing um, that I found to be so true, like one thing that affects a student, um, a child, whatever, whatever tag you want to put on a teenager that affects their spiritual growth, um, whether for the positive or for the negative, more than anything else, um, um, well, this is in the negative sense, is, is when mom and dad are not united. When they're not on the same front, right? And, and, and specifically when they're not united uh, um, when it comes to the position of God inside of their homes. Nothing, nothing affects a child more than that. In fact, I would, I would go on to say that I don't know of any student who's come through my ministry that is still um, involved in church, still active in the church, whether it's here or another, that came from a household where one parent came to church and placed God on a, on a high priority and the other parent did not come to church. I can think of no students of the hundreds now that we've had come through the ministry. I can't think of one single one, right? A student, a child is going to be very much like water in that instance. They're going to go to the path of least resistance. And listen, that is never, ever Christianity. It's just not it. It's hard. It's not easy to be a Christian, all those who live godly for Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's just a fact. They're going to go just like water to the path of least resistance, and that is never, ever, ever following the Lord. So you have to be united. You have to be on the same front for the sake of your children as to where God is in the home and the priority of the Lord in your home. And, and I really, that's not the message for today, but I want to let that thought just reign over the entire message, right? Hopefully this can serve as, as kind of a starting point or a talking point. Maybe, maybe you've discussed it before. It's, it, listen, we all have room for improvement um, of, of a conversation that you can have with your spouse, mom and dad. Where's God in our home? How do we display that to our children? And how are we going to consistently be united on that front? Because life happens. Right. You know, next thing you know, you 
12 weeks into the travel ball season and we've not worshiped God one season. I mean, you, you just, you place whatever is in your context. That's just very familiar in, in my realm. But life happens. So you need to be united um, on that front. Okay, so before, sorry, before we get into the message, I'll get off my soapbox now. Before we get into the message, I want to remind us of our initial imperatives for this Family Matters series. The first, um, God is God and I am not. Praise, praise God for that. I wouldn't, um, I'm not able to withstand that sort of pressure. Psalm 100 verse 3, know ye that the Lord, he is God. Right? It's he that hath made us and not we ourselves. Um, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. God is God. You're not God, I'm not God. Praise God. <laughs> the Bible is God's word. You, you find Paul, he, he wrote to Timothy, he said, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. The idea is that it's God, it's God breathed, right? And so we find in the book of Genesis, right, what gave life to that pile of dirt, to, to man? It was God's breath, right? So um, in that same sense, the word of God is, is alive, it's powerful. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and therefore it's profitable, for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all um, good works. The Bible, this is God's word. I pray you believe it. But if you don't, everything else I'm about to say is not going to mean much to you. The Bible's God's word. The third imperative, God's thoughts and ways are higher. That may seem obvious, sir does to me anyways, but there's some of us who are not intellectually challenged. And I will remind you that God's thoughts are higher. Isaiah 55 verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Our fourth imperative, is that our thoughts and ways may seem right, right? There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the ways um, at the end thereof. It's death. It's death. It's, it, it's just foolishness. And the fifth one is God um, builds the home. Hopefully this verse is familiar to you by now. Psalm 127, verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain um, that build it. Do you know that blessing and fear of the Lord are directly linked together? Right, and listen, listen, this isn't prosperity gospel. When I say blessing, I'm not talking about money. If, if the pastor is referring, his blessing is, always comes back to money financially, listen, block and unfollow, okay? That's not it. That's just a fact. I'm not talking about money, but did you know that blessing is directly linked to reverence? The Lord's blessing is directly linked to the Lord's position inside of your home. Psalm 128, blessed is everyone that fear the Lord, right? That walketh in his ways, for thou shalt eat of the labor of thy hands, right? And happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee, thy wife. So there's an indication that it's going to start at the father, at the head of the home, right? And he's the one that's going to instill the priority, of the Lord inside of the home. He says, thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house and children like olive plants round about thy table. 
Behold, that thus shall a man be blessed that feareth the Lord. And the Lord shall be blessed, or shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children. And blessing and reverence are directly linked together. But the fear of the Lord is to be taught, it is to be modeled, it is to be exemplified by mom and dad to our children. Even though the purpose of your children is not just to have um, little mini-me's running around in your ancestral line. The, the purpose of your children, right, is to be image bearers of God. Right? And that the fear of the Lord, the priority of the Lord in their lives is to be taught, it's to be modeled, it's to be exemplified to them. And you find this principle, Psalm 34, verse 11, Come, ye children, hearken to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It's not just in them from birth. My child has known several things right from birth. He knew how to sword fight seemingly. As soon as he came out of the womb, it was bizarre. But if you hand him a straw right now, just like, ha, he'll pick up another, ha, ha. Right? He's known how to eat since he came out of the womb. Nobody had to taught him that, right? But they're not born with the fear of the Lord. They're not born uh, uh, reverencing God, placing him correctly inside of the heart. This must be taught and exemplified. And so um, our passage this morning, it comes from the book of Malachi. You can turn there with me. It's the, it's the last book in the Old Testament. Honestly, we know very little about the author of the book of Malachi. The, the word Malachi itself even just means messenger. And so likely this is just a title and, and not even his name. Historically speaking, we're about 100 years post-return of the Babylonian exile. Right? And, and really, just to put it bluntly, things are not good. Right? Things, things are bad. And listen, as I read through some of like the historical context of the book before we dive in, listen, Feel free to apply it to our context at any, at any time. This may sound eerily familiar to you. I know it did to me as I'm studying for this. Things aren't good. Jerusalem is largely deserted and uninhabited. The people um, living in the surrounding lands, they still don't want them back. Um, the land's still rather uncultivated. The harvests have been poor, and they're often ravaged by locusts. And this is making life very hard. The walls have been rebuilt by Nehemiah and company, but it seems as though people still prefer to live in the country. The temple's been rebuilt. However, it's merely just a shell of what Solomon's temple once was. They haven't built a palace because they have no king. Right? They cannot reign because the Persian governor is um, still the ruler. They have a royal line, but the family of Zerubbabel is living in the poorhouse. And really, at this point, they're just a tiny little hill town, far from what the people of David once were. So they're disappointed. They are disillusioned. They're even despairing. And they're beginning to ask amongst themselves, is it worth it? Was it um, worth it? Right? We've been back 100 years. Where's this, where's this kingdom we were going to build? And their question is really much like what we find many, many Christians asking today, especially when it comes to our worship. And, and their question is really simply, why bother? Right? And therefore, they become complacent, content even. And this had a horrible effect on their religious life. Worship had been reestablished. However, the excitement and enthusiasm for, once, uh, for which Haggai and Zechariah were these catalysts, that, that has since waned. 
They still went to the temple, but it's largely out of tradition at this point, without priority. And they're now asking, what's the minimum that they need, the minimum time that they need to spend on religious activities? Right? What's the minimum sacrifice that we can make to God? And it seems as though the priests are just in it for a living, as many pastors today are. Unbothered with how many people are coming to the temple, unbothered by um, what the law of God and, and his word says, and thus they're, ne they're neglecting to teach, teach the truth of these scriptures. Right? They become casual and careless in their duties as if anything was going to do for God. They no longer offered their best because the priests no longer offered their best. They were allowing the people to do the same. Listen, when you have this attitude towards your religious life, it's, it's not long before it begins to affect your moral life. Right? And so when you say, um, why bother about God? Inevitably, it's not long before you say, why bother about trying to be godly? Right? And when one generation says, why bother about God? The next generation says, why bother being good? Hello. Right? Goodness disappears when God disappears. And all this starts to have a devastating effect on the family. Why be faithful to God turns into why even be faithful to my wife? Right, so the men, we find them divorcing their wives, and Jerusalem is still rather short of women at this point. If you remember, most of the people who came back from the exile were men. So they're starting to remarry, but they're remarrying people outside of Jerusalem, non-Jewish women. If you're familiar, this is, this is completely against the law of God. Right, and that's why we find, by the time we reach Malachi chapter 2, um, that's why we find beginning in verse 13. It says, this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord your God with tears and with weeping and with crying, insomuch that he regardeth not your offering anymore. He doesn't receive it with, with the good at your hand. And yet ye say, wherefore, why? Why won't he regard my offering? Why won't he receive it? Because the Lord your God hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou has dealt with treacherously, yet... Um, is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant? And did not um, um, he make one? Again, it had the residue of the Spirit. And why? Why did he give them the residue of the Spirit? Why did he unite them as one? That they might seek a godly seed. Not just a look-alike inside your ancestral line, but a godly seed, an image-bearer, as it were. And therefore, take heed in your spirit. Let none deal treacherously against the wife of the youth. For the Lord your God um, of Israel saith he, he hates putting away or divorce. And so listen, things are bad. And things are bad, times are bad. And listen, when times are bad, you got to find a scapegoat. We have the convenient scapegoat of our government. Anything happens, president's trash. <laughs> government's trash. It's just a convenient scapegoat. It's just fact, right? Whether you agree with this president's policies, this administration's policies, or the last one's policies, it doesn't matter. Every, every administration is always the same. It's always the same arguments, right? It's their fault. They're always the scapegoat for everything. They didn't have the government to blame, so they begin to blame God. And they said, God hasn't bothered with us, so why are we going to bother with him? As a matter of fact, God stopped loving us, they convinced themselves. That's why by the time we get to you know, chapter 1, verse 2, he says, I've loved you. Right? They said, God stopped loving us, so we're going to stop loving him. And, and so in turn, this is God's last words to his people for some 400 years. This is a cold word. It's, it's not a warm book at all, if you're familiar with it. 
It's, it's argumentative in a sense. In fact, 47 of the 55 verses of Malachi are God's own words, right? That's 85%. That's more than any of the other minor prophets, right? And this prophecy, it, it's an argument back and forth. Um, it's likely that as Malachi is, is the messenger is giving um, God's message that the people are heckling him. Right, that they're arguing with him as he's given the message. Thus we find 12 times in the book the phrase, but you say, right? It's as if, it, you know, it's like, it's like when you tell your child to do something, they're like, mm, no, I didn't. Like you, you said clean my room. You didn't say I needed to clean it well, right? Like, yeah, it's like this back and forth um, between them. And that's why we find that, that, that word, you say, it's almost as if they think the prophet is exaggerating. Things aren't really that bad. They're offended by his message. And because his message is kind of harsh, right? It's essentially the same as Haggai's was. It's, you started all this. You wonder why you're in the position that you're in. But listen, it's your fault. You lost reverence and regard for the things of God. And you wonder why he's withdrawn his blessings from you. Because blessings are directly related to reverence. It's the same principle that we find in Romans 1. Lest you think this is just Old Testament speak. Romans 1 verse 21. Because that... When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They had no regard for his position as God. Neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. Hello, got a whole lot of that. Um, they became fools and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God gave them up and so uncleanness, un uncleanliness, right, through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor in their own bodies and themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and they worshiped and served creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this cause, God gave them up to their vile affections, for even their woman did change the natural use into that which is against nature. So yes, yes, he's saying times are bad, things are bad, but it's your fault, right? It's your fault you lost reverence for God. You lost all regard for the things of God. There's no need to wonder why you're in this position, he's saying. Right? And this is a cold, cold word. Thus it will be his um, last word. And it's interesting to me that the very last word God gives to the people who had lost all reverence for him. They had lost all respect for his person, for his position. The very last word, the very last verse, the very last word of the very last verse is curse. Right? It's a curse. It's a cold word. And so that's really what I want to spend the rest of our time here this morning kind of focused around is how do you and I as a family, right? How do we keep God and the things of God in its rightful place in our home, right? To make sure that we don't fall um, victim to the same thing. Right, to make sure um, that we don't end up where they ended up. Because the Lord's blessing is directly linked to the Lord's position inside of your home. So let's see what we can glean um, from the messenger's message in order to make sure we don't make the same mistakes and lead our families inadvertently down the same path. Malachi chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse 6. It says, The son honoreth his father, and a servant is master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? And so listen, while they called him father, 
And while they called him master, they did not give him the honor and the respect that a father and a master should be given, right? Their actions didn't align with their outward professions, as it were, right? That their profession of who God is, that's father, and, and the position in their life, that's master, what they did did not align under what they professed him to be. Who you are and what you do need to align under who he is. In front of your kids, 100% of the time. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 says, Son, honor his father and servant his master. If then I be your father, where is my honor? If then I be your master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts? Unto you, O priest, that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Um, God references his name frequently throughout Scripture, and it's no different here in the book of Malachi. But, but when God talks about his name, understand he's not talking about the nomenclature, so to speak, right? God, um, he tells Pharaoh through Moses, right? We find that in Exodus 9, he says, um, um, for very, this very deed, right? For this cause have I raised thee up, for to show um, an, in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Pharaoh didn't know God's name, uh, his, his official nomenclature, his name. Right? This is not a reference to his nomenclature. David wrote um, in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. This is no, these are not references to the nomenclature. Um, what he is referring to, rather, is what his name reflects. Right, what his name represents. He's referring to um, his personhood, right? The, the position that he holds. And thus, when God told the Israelites and, and even us today um, that they despise his name, he's saying they didn't recognize the uniqueness of his personhood or the uniqueness of his position. He was just another. Right? He's saying they're not holding his name at the level that his name represents. Right? To fear God means to take him seriously as opposed to taking him casually. Thus, to fear God uh, um, and to take his name and his person and his position seriously. You've probably sung the lyrics before. I'm a friend of God, right? And listen, God really is your friend. All right, Jesus said, greater love have no man than this. They would lay down his life for a friend, and he goes on to say, if you, if you follow my commands, you keep my commands, you, you are my friend. Listen, God is your friend, but in being your friend, God does not cease to be your God. Right. right, and listen, those of you, I'm trying to raise up some young children right now, you know what I'm trying to say. I hope that your child is your friend, kind of. <laughs> right, like to a point. But what I hope even more than that is that you never erase the line between parent and child, right? That's part of the current issue that we have today, right? There's too many people that place far greater effort into trying to be their child's friend than they do in being parents that they were called to be. You can always tell when a parent is too buddy-buddy with their kid, right? And you can see it when the child no longer respects the parent's position. And, and as a result, right, you got chaos, you got disorder, you got disruption, even damage inside the home. Listen, God wants to be your friend, but he demands to be your God. And so he begins his discussion with the Israelites through the prophet, through the messenger, reminding them that, um, yes, and you call me father, you're saying the right things outwardly with your mouth, but there's no honor. There's no respect for who I am, for the position um, that he holds. Pick up in verse 7. He says, ye offer polluted bread on my altar. 
And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that, ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind uh, for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? He says, offer it to the governor. Will he be pleased with thee? And listen, this is sarcasm, heavy sarcasm in the word of God. He's saying you wouldn't dare offer that to the governor because you know he wouldn't be pleased with you. Will he accept thy person? saith the Lord of hosts. And so the Israelites are kind of like, if you haven't picked up on it, it's kind of like a child, right? Like we said before, they're arguing back and forth. They're playing dumb. Right? Like, oh, I didn't know that you said that. How have I done that? How have I not cleaned my room? How have I offered unclean sacrifices? I don't know what I did. I tried my best, right? And, and so it's like, listen, after all, we, we went to the tabernacle. We've, we've, we've been offering sacrifices, right? Now I've paid my dues. And God pointed out, listen, what you're giving me is leftovers, what you're giving me is junk. You're bringing me lambs that can't see, they can't walk. You can't use them for anything, but you want to give them to me and act like you're doing something? They weren't giving him their best. They're giving him things that they can't use. Listen, mom and dad, you don't have to curse God openly to despise him. All you have to do is tell him that you don't think much of him by bringing him your leftovers. And your children are watching. Listen, Dr. Tony Evans, he gives this great illustration in his book, um, Kingdom Men, about this kind of idea of bringing God your leftovers. And so I'll, I'll paraphrase it very loosely. Um, and, and so try to think about it this way. Let's say you're at work on Friday and you get a call um, from the president's um, secretary of planning. I don't even know if that's a thing. <laughs> I feel like there's a calendar. There's a secretary of the calendar. Uh, and she calls, he calls, whoever it is they call. And, um, and listen, 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 I get it. Whether you agree with the, the city administration's policies or not, or you, you adhered more to the last one or the one before that, I, you know, we can all agree that it should be a highly esteemed position, right? God's placed people in authority in our lives for a purpose, for his purpose, right? So whether you directly agree with the things that they say, the things that they do, um, they're there for a reason. And, and there's no, no greater authority than the president. This is a highly esteemed position, right? So you get a call from the, the president's planning secretary, the secretary of the calendar. She says, this is so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, listen, the president's coming through town, and, and they've decided they're going to have dinner with a local family um, tonight, and they've chosen your home to, to host the president. And so you get off the phone, and, and you call your wife, right? And you're excited by this somewhat random, um, um, <laughs> surprising, but good news. And so you call your wife, and, and if you're anything like me, I, I know I've done this before. Like, hey, my brother's coming. We haven't seen him in a long time. And so you start, you start Start discussing the things that you could prepare for the president, right? You know, hey, listen, listen. Maybe, maybe we could we could cook up some of those fillets, right? We give it like the butter bath and and uh, with the salt, pepper, and the garlic on there, right? We let it just kind of in there. Oh man, I keep I'm gonna keep basing it for a while until it gets, and then I'm gonna sear that in real quick, and then and then if we're lucky, like like you could go and, and find one of those cuts of salmon and 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 bake it up. And you remember like we like it real good, and then she she cuts you off. She says, "Honey, calm down. I got it." Right, like I got this. We have plenty of leftovers in the fridge. <laughs> no, no, listen, listen. Like, like you remember we, we got KFC the other night, and there's a couple of pieces, there's a couple of pieces of fried chicken left. Now I think that'll be enough for them. And listen, listen, maybe not, maybe that's not necessarily their thing, but but the lasagna that we had from Wednesday, it'll still be good for sure. And you know, the kids, they don't like vegetables, they didn't eat much of that green bean salad at all. Dude, if you work from home. You, you, you would hang up the phone, walk downstairs and take her temperature. 
right? Like, like if you're on the phone, you're driving. I don't know if you ever heard something so crazy from your wife it calls you like, you like your phone's broken. You, <laughs> you start squinting at it like, what? Listen, honey, I love you, but you bumped your wig. You lost your mind. This is the president of the United States of America. We're not feeding him leftovers. Hey, man. Isn't that what we do to God? Like, isn't that what we do to God as, as adults? And this may seem like a no-brainer, man, but we do this all the time. We, we serve up the king of kings, the Lord of hosts. We serve him up in leftovers, like so flippantly. And we, we show no regard to our neighbors, our co-workers, our children, the people who are watching, no, no regard for God, his name, or his position. And so there's, there's plenty of ways that we see families serving up leftovers. One of the ways we do it is we serve them up our leftover time. Right? This is when we give, we give God our attention, but only after we finish watching our shows or the playoffs. Or the finals. Or we give them our attention, but only after the season's done. Because Cletus and them got three or four more games. Right? Or we give God um, our attention. Or, or we try to give them our devotion, but when I'm not too tired. Or when we've finished sleep training the baby. Or any of the other plethora of excuses that you want to come up with. Listen, I've never seen a more creative people than churchgoers trying to give excuses of why they weren't there or excuses as to why they couldn't serve or as to why they couldn't mow or as to why, you name it, X, Y, and Z. There's, there would be no more creative time in your life than when you're trying to come up with those excuses. There's a plethora of things. We, we also do it when we attempt to give them our attention, but we stayed up too late. Or, or maybe, maybe in your context, you drank too much. And now you're at worship or you're trying to go through your devotion and you feel like trash, right? You haven't had enough sleep or whatever that may be, right? You didn't properly prepare. And thus we're struggling to give God our full attention during this time. And thus in these things, we serve up the one true God of the universe, leftover, microwaved, unplanned, rushed time. I'll give him what I have left over after I've gotten everything done that I needed to accomplish or that I wanted to accomplish. The psalmist asked a question that I'll ask after each one of these kind of. And he said this in 116 verse 12. He says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? God has blessed us so, so richly. Consider all of his benefits, all of his promises, right? And place a worth on it. What shall you render unto him? Surely something more than just leftover microwaved rust time. Another way that we serve him our leftovers is we give him our leftover service. Right? And we see this when you just throw something together when it comes to doing something for God or for his church. You see it often with the attitude of like good enough. Right? But when it comes to doing something for us, we want it done exactly right. We're going to be very meticulous. We're going to take our time. We're going to plan it out. We're going to put a lot of thought into it. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, very familiar passage of Scripture. Um, wherefore, um, 
Therefore, whether, therefore, ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Um, think of it this way, right? The waitress walks up to you. She's like smacking her gums. What do you want? Like Ghostbusters, what do you want? She, she's rushing you, trying to get your order. She hasn't even put the menu on the table. Then finally, maybe you get your food. You haven't got a drink yet, right? And then, and then she's like, she just really wants you out of there. And, you know, like tapping, just kind of peeking around the corner. She comes, tries to collect your plate before you've even done eating, right? And then she has the audacity to expect a, a tip at the end of this. Or what's even worse, what's even worse is they just add the 20% gratuity into the bill, like, like they just just knew her service was going to be so good, right? You're not going to give her a tip, or if you do, it's going to be very small. Why? Because she gave you this rushed, leftover, trash service. Colossians 3.23, and whatever you do, do it heartedly as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that um, of the Lord you shall receive a reward, the, the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Listen, we need to look any further than the account of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, to know that God expects obedience and the pursuit of excellence when it comes to our service to him. What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits to me? Your children are watching. You know, another way that we serve our leftovers God when we give them our leftover money. This isn't a message on giving. Hopefully you haven't thought that to this point. But listen, we, we give them what's left over after we've purchased and financed and secured all that we want for ourselves. Then we turn back and we look for God to bless us, help us. We pray that he'll help us with this bill. We, we, we pray that he'll bless us with a raise. We pray that he'll get us out of debt, help us um, to be able to get out of debt. All the while, we just give him our leftovers. And that's what Malachi is referencing. When he says in, in verse one, or, or in chapter one, verse nine, he says, and now um, I pray you beseech God that he will be gracious unto us, that he would, he would bless us. He says, this has been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Right now, I know that's kind of wordy. The CSB put it this way. And, and now plead for God's favor. Will he be gracious unto us since this has come from your hands? Will he show you any favor, asked the Lord of armies? And so by the time you get to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8, Right, God's still warning Israel through this sort of rhetorical question and answer, or maybe they're still heckling the messenger as it is, but it's still the same format. And he actually equates giving him our leftover finances to robbing him. Well, he says in 3 verse 8, will a man rob God? He says, yet you, you robbed me. And they say, how? Wherein? How have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. Listen, I bought this up earlier this week at lunch. <clears throat> How mad would you be if you gave your kids an offering? Right? We want to teach our kids to give back to the Lord. We see it um, often. We used to see it all the time when we pass the plate. Um, I'm, I'm suspecting it still happens now with the, the offering stations in the back. Right? If you gave your kid an envelope with an offering in it because you want them to learn how to give back to the Lord, you want, you want giving to be a priority inside of your home, giving back to the Lord. So you gave them an envelope. Let's say you gave them $10. And they pocketed it instead of putting it in an offering plate. 
Or, or maybe they're trying to be slick, and so they open up the envelope, and they take five of it. They take half of what they were supposed to give, and they pocket that, and they put the rest in the plate. How mad would you be? How disappointed would you be? I'd spareth not the rod. <laughs> I, I can promise you that. You'd be, you'd be severely disappointed. But isn't that what we do as adults? Psalm 24, verse 1, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the, the world and they that dwelleth therein, for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Colossians 1, 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and in, in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things exist. Listen, it's all his. And James says every good gift, every perfect gift, it comes from him. It comes from above. He's given us everything that we have or he's provided us with the means to get everything that we have. And all he asks, like a, like a father handing his child the offering envelope. All he asks is that we just give it back. Because it was never ours to begin with. But consider this situation. You worked hard all week. The boss comes to you on Friday. Listen, pastor, if you ever consider firing me, can we consider a Monday, please? <laughs> the boss... That's a side note. The boss comes to you on Friday. They hand you $10. They say, listen, this is your pay for this week. We spent all the rest of your money. How would you feel? Less than excited, I'm guessing. <laughs> and if he didn't present a plan on how he was going to get you the rest of your money, I'm sure you'd be job shopping at this point. Right? Because, listen, I didn't put in that work on week for $10. I didn't got the certifications, right? I didn't spend all the gas money getting there. I didn't do all these things. Listen, I know what I'm worth, and it's more than $10. I understand my value. That's why God calls giving to him our first fruits, right? He wants us to give to him first out of respect for who he is and for the position that he holds in our life. Our offerings are an indication of what's in our heart. That's why Jesus exclaimed in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now listen, I don't know about you guys. I'll eat almost any leftover. Matter of fact, there's not much in this world I won't eat, <laughs> food-wise. Right? Like, I, I'll eat leftovers. Some are better than others. Some are better cold. Some are better hot. Spaghetti's always better the second day. You might as well take those french fries and just pitch them at the restaurant because I haven't found a good way to re-eat those at all. It's just trash regardless. I have no problem with leftovers. Some better than the first round. But God is God. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than mine. And there is no refrigerator in heaven. I had this written down before the speaker at Fresta said it yesterday. I tapped my wife, was like, that's it, my message. There ain't no refrigerator in heaven because God hates leftovers. Yeah. Right? He deserves our very, very best. Psalm 8, verse 1. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. 
who has set the glory above the heavens. You skip down to verse three. When I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? That thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou shalt visit him. But thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands and thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the fields, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through um, the pass of the seas. Our Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all of the earth. Listen, he has a name, right? His, his personhood and his position is above all else. He is the great I am, right? By him and through him, all things exist to him. He's the alpha, the omega, right? The beginning, the end, the king of kings, the Lord of hosts, right? Like what shall I render unto him for all of his benefits towards me? But God told the people through Malachi, you wouldn't serve that to the governor, you don't serve it to me. Right? He despises our leftovers because they deny him the preeminence that his name and his position demands. Malachi chapter 1, verse 10. Who is there, even among you, that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle a fire on my altar for naught. The ESV, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that ye might not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. The CSB, I wish that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle useless fire on my altar. He says, I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies. I will accept no offering of your hands. Listen, religious activity rooted in anything, anything other than our humble adoration for, for God as the source of, of all goodness and all authority is nothing but useless fig tree religion, right? It's repulsive to God because it slanders his character. Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Hebrews 11, verse 6, but without faith, it's impossible to please God for um, um, he that comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you worship as a family, right, the things that you are doing to ascribe to him worth, if you worship uh, as an individual, but also together as a family, as a unit, if those things that you do to ascribe to him worth are not rooted in faith, right, and that's the belief that he is the one and true God, and, and as God, the one and true God, he has all power, all authority, and he is worthy of my very, very best, right? If your worship is rooted in anything other than that, Hebrews says it will never be pleasing to God. Right? And Malachi seems to certainly um, suggest that if we as a church, like if our worship of him fails to be sincere, if it fails to be the genuinely best that we have to offer, offer um, we might as well just shut the doors. In fact, the CSB said, I wish that somebody would come and shut the door so you can stop offering it in vain. Malachi 1, verse 11. For from the, from the rising of the sun 
even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen. Let's say the Lord of hosts. Listen, prioritize the Lord in your home. Be unified, mom and dad. And how are you gonna do that? God's number one, everything else is leftovers. If you got time for it, if you got the money for it, whatever, everything else is leftovers. But don't serve the leftovers to God. Prioritize the Lord in your home. Prioritize and prepare for daily devotional time in your home. Prepare your family for worship. In a personal sense, but also in the corporate sense. Right? And this, this proper preparation to come into his presence is a very biblical concept. Where we find it in Exodus 19, the Lord saith unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them. Today, also tomorrow, two days of preparation even. And let them wash their clothes, right? And be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord's going to come down in the sight of the people upon the mountain. Proper preparation to come into his presence is a very biblical concept. I spent a little bit of time like brainstorming this idea of like things um, that we could do as families to to prepare our families, right, to, to, to come into his presence, to do better, to be better. And I spent some time brainwashing that with some of our leaders here um, around the lunch table, and I also um, brainwashed it with a few other leaders um, uh, of local New Testament churches. And so these are just a few suggestions, just a few conversation starters, man. Maybe you've never thought of one. Maybe you think of something better, man, or, or something you can add to it, of ways that you can continue to make God top priority in your home and the worship of God. And so this is not, this is not an, uh, an inclusive list, right? This is not, there's more, there's better. I'm sure there is. These are a few suggestions. First one's get enough sleep. Yeah, it seems like a simple thing, get enough sleep. But listen, I'm glad you drug him here. I mean, I would do the same. I'm probably gonna do the same when he's two now. <laughs> Dragging him's not very hard. I was drugged. But if they're falling asleep because they stayed up till two or three o'clock in the morning on YouTube or TikTok, or if you're falling asleep dozing because you stayed up watching, the, listen, the, the, the Denver Nuggets, they don't come on. It's, it's the West Coast. They don't come on until 930. The game is late. Listen, if you're falling asleep, I mean, did we not just give them what we had left over after we did what we wanted to accomplish? Get enough sleep, man. The second one's eat before you come. And listen, this, this is... <laughs> You gotta pick the right things. I'm not talking about go to IHOP and eat a tall stack and then you're here and you're in a carb coma, just like, <laughs> you can't focus on anything at all. But get something to eat, man. When your stomach's growling, you're focused, you just wanna get out of here, right? I'm thinking about those hunger pangs that are hitting and then you're like, oh, pastor, come on, bro. You preach for 35 minutes, pack it up, man. I'm hungry, I'm trying to go to El Agave or whatever, right? Like, get, put something in, man. I'm not talking about some trash, right? Put, put just a piece of fruit or two, nothing heavy, but just something so that you're not starving the whole time. Eat before you come. Wake up early so you're not rushed. Listen, I don't know about you, but when, when me and my wife get in a rush, you just get to spouting off at the mouth. <laughs> it's not long before we're coming to church and it's a quiet, quiet, cold ride. <laughs> right because when you rush, you just get frustrated. Wake up early enough. Right? Wake up early. Come early so you're not rushing in through the back door. 
Right? Come early. Wake up early. But listen, if you're going to wake up early and you've got to have enough sleep, that might mean you need to go to bed early on Saturday. I'm just saying. We just passed my day, Travis. It was a Saturday. I don't get <laughs> Ascribe to him what he's worth. Right? Consider all that he's blessed you with. What's he worth? Let's wake up early so you're not rushed. Listen, prioritize giving to God at the top of your budget. Things happen. Brakes go out. Hot water heaters give up. Kids come to you and be like, oh, I want to go to camp. <laughs> not, not here. That would be a good thing. I'm in the other soccer camp. <laughs> but prioritize giving to God at the very top of your budget. That way, whatever life throws your way, you've given back to God. You've already given back to God. Right? Don't give him the leftovers of your money. Um, remove potential distractions. Hey, listen, mom and dad, let's make a plea. 12 years in, never stood from the pulpit and made this plea. <laughs> Take your kid's cell phone before they come. Think I'm playing, man. Be for real. As a matter of fact, why don't you lead by example? Oh, man, we just, we, it's a Bible app on my phone. Okay. They're not mature enough to handle that. Sorry. Sorry, my peeps. They're not, they're not strong enough to handle that. Do you understand? Leave them all on the counter, face down, before you come. Remove the potential distraction. Maybe some days they come and they do great with it. Listen, if you were to walk upstairs to our room and we have people sit outside, because we don't like just anybody coming in. We try to protect our children. Do you understand? And, and, but if you were to come by, right, you sneak past the guards and you look in. Mark, the other day, he said to me, this, this is... This is, this is has done more damage. I wish the cell phone was never created. And as we looked out, it was just three, four kids. They're sitting by themselves, not talking, not interacting, and they just got their face down on their phone. I don't know is that they were doing anything bad. I don't know. I'm sure they're not. One was playing probably like Temple Run or Little Games or something. But they weren't interacting with each other. Right? And they're not able to handle that, that, that temptation and that distraction. And remove that distraction. It's your responsibility. It's your phone. You pay for it. Listen, a little side note, if I can get up on a soapbox, I'll stand up on the monitor. Listen, if you give your phone a kid with access to the Internet and all the evils, the potential evils of the Internet, you don't monitor it, you don't put anything on it, shame on you. Sorry, I'll get off the soapbox. Remove potential distractions. Listen, as much as in your control, settle all disputes beforehand. Nothing's more distracting when you come to worship with a beef with someone. You and your wife fighting because you was running late. Now you're sitting in worship thinking about all the things she said to you, right? Like, I don't have a big nose or a big forehead. You're dumb. It was your fault we were late. Whatever, right? And so it's distracting you from worship, right? Re remove those distractions. Settle those disputes before you come in. Listen, husband, that may, that may involve you saying sorry. Listen, wife, that may involve you saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said it this way. That, just, just, just settle those um, disputes before you walk in through his doors. Yeah. Best way to do it is to handle it biblically before the sun goes down. Um, and then communicate your expectations concerning worship with all members of the family. Everybody. Listen, that way, come Saturday... They're not asking to go over to Jim Tom's because they know we're going to worship in the morning. 
Or when they're asking to go and spend the night, yeah, okay, but I'm picking you up at 8 in the morning. You had better be ready. I hope that you ate something because I'm, I'm not dealing with you distracted, falling asleep and all this. And more than likely, they're not going to adhere to your rules inside of there, right? They're not going to go to bed early. They are going to be up on YouTube with gym time, and they are going to be watching TikTok. So after they do spend the night, they are going to come and fall asleep. Listen, communicate your expectations for worship. Every family has different expectations, but I hope yours is to place God at the very top. And so that may look a little bit different depending on each context, but communicate those expectations to each other. Right? So you can remain united together on that front. As we wrap up, if we were to go back to Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, he said, I have loved you saith the Lord God. Yet ye say, wherein have you loved us? Do you know that God loves you this morning? Right, God loves you. I think if he was here this morning, like if he was literally sitting um, like in our midst, which he is inside of each one of you, I want you to understand that, but like, but like if he was here, like if Malachi was bringing us this message and he said, he said, Battlefield, I want you to know that God loves you. And listen, we're argumentative because we think we know better. And we say, how? Prove it, Travis. You don't understand. God, like the things that we're going through in my life, you don't understand uh, um, my niece and the things that are happening here. You don't understand like the things that our family had to deal with. How can you say that God um, loves me? I believe he'd give us something like this because um, he commended his love towards us. Yeah. Right, because he proved it. When we were still at war, when we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. He'd say, listen, this is love. Not that we loved him first, but that God loved us. And he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God loves you. I hope you know that this morning. He wants a relationship with you. Well, the problem is that our sins make that relationship in and of ourselves impossible. Right? All is sinned and come short of the glory of God. You, me, even Pastor Greg, all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. And there's a, pay, there's, there's a wage, there's a payment, there's something that we've earned because of that sin. And the Bible says it's death. And it makes that relationship with him impossible, right? It's talking about an eternity separated from God in a place that the devil calls hell. And it is not good. You understand? Where, where God doesn't exist, goodness ceases to exist. It's not good. But God loves you, right? Because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him won't perish, but they can have everlasting life. How? How? He says, just call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. Listen. God came to this earth in the form, like in the flesh, in the form of his only begotten son, Jesus. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died a death on the cross, right? He, he paid my price, your price for our sins so that we don't have to pay it, so that we can have a right relationship with God, so that we can spend an eternity in heaven with him. And Romans tells us, call upon the name of the Lord. If you believe that with your whole heart, Call upon the name of the Lord and thou shall be saved. If you just stand um, to your feet with me for a second, we're just going to have a brief moment where we reflect upon the word of God. If you're not saved, you say, Travis, I don't even know where to begin to call out upon the name of the Lord. We'll have a few people down here. They'll have a Bible. They would love to show you how you can know that you can know that you have a home in heaven. Call upon the name of the Lord 
and thou shalt be saved. Whatever business you need to do with God, I pray that you spend these next few moments doing it. I also pray that this message starts as a starting point, a talking point in your home with your families. Have we been keeping God in his rightful place in our home? If so, how do we continue to do that? How do we guarantee we don't mess it up? And if not, how can we do better? Let's take a moment, reflect on his word. If you need to do business with the Lord, the altar is open.